Jesus House in pursuit of God, discovering purpose, maximizing potential, impacting lives. This message is being brought to you from Jesus House London. God bless you. So Father Almighty God, we come before you. We really thank you for all that you do and all that you are. We ask, Lord, tonight that as we gather together as a family, that you teach us your word. Father, open up the Bible as only you can. Father, glorify your name as only you can. And eternal rock of ages, we really commit today into your hands. Be kind to us, my Father. We worship and we glorify you. In Jesus' most holy name, amen. And ladies and gentlemen, um, we're going to continue with our study of the book of Philippians. We did stop at the beginning of chapter two. Um, so we're going to start there. And what I will do over the next few minutes is I'm just going to read through. Um, I'm going to read through chapter two. And that will then guide us as we go. Um, and so if you do have questions, like we said, pop them into the chat. You're most welcome to do so. We'll look forward to you doing so. And so that's what we'll do. And God will be kind to us tonight. And so I'm going to be reading from the Bible in basic English. And just like last week, you can follow along in any other version. And we're looking at the book of Philippians. And the book of Philippians has some really major themes in it. And so we're on chapter two. Um, and so I'll read through today. And then we will go from there. And the Bible says this, starting from verse one, if there is any comfort in Christ, any help given by love, any uniting of heart in the spirit, any loving mercies and pity, I'm reading from the Bible in basic English, and pity, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in harmony and of one mind, doing nothing through envy or through pride, but with low thoughts of self, let everyone take others to be better than himself. Not looking everyone to his private good, but keeping in mind the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus, to whom, though himself in the form of God, it did not seem that to take for oneself was to be like, but he made himself as nothing, taking the form of a servant, being made like men. And being seen in form as a man, he took the lowest place and let himself be put to death, even the death of the cross. For this reason, God has put him in the highest place and given to him the name which is greater than every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee may be bent of those in heaven and those on, on earth and those in the underworld. And that every tongue may give witness that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. So then, to the glory of God, my father, so then, my loved ones, as you have at all times done what I say, not only when I am present, but now much more when I am not with you, give yourselves to working out your salvation with fear in your hearts. For it is God who is the cause of your desires and of your acts for his good pleasure. Do all things without protests and arguments so that you may be holy and gentle children of God without sin in a twisted and foolish generation, among whom you are seen as lights in the world, 
offering the word of life so that I may have glory in you in the day of Christ, because my running was not for nothing and my work was not without effect. And even if I am offered like a drink offering, giving myself for the cause and work of your faith, I am glad and have joy with you all. And in the same way, do you be glad and have part in my joy. But I am hoping in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you before long, so that I may be comforted when I have news of you. For I have no man of like mind who will truly care for you. For they all go after what is theirs, not after the things of Christ. But his quality is clear to you. How as a child is to a father, so he was a help to me in the work of the good news. Him then am I hoping to send as quickly as possible when I am able to see how things will go for me. But I have faith in the Lord that I myself will come before long. But it seems to me necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother who has taken part with me in the work and in the fight and your servant sent by you for help in my need because his heart was with you all and he was greatly troubled because you had news that he was ill. For in fact, he was ill almost to death, but God had mercy on him and not only on him, but on me so that I might not have grief on grief. I have sent him then, the more gladly, so that when you see him again, you may be happy and I may have less sorrow. So take him to your hearts in the Lord with all joy and give honor to such as he is. Because for the work of Christ, he was near death, putting his life in danger to make your care for me complete. Amen. And so ladies and gentlemen, what we will do, um, when you read the book of Philippians, remember one of the things I would love you to remember, ladies and gentlemen, is this, is the fact that remember Paul is writing this at a time when he's in prison and he's in prison and there is a very strong possibility that he might be put to death. But he writes this letter and he writes from his heart. And so we're going to start from the top. And so we're going to work through, I'll tell you one or two of the things that I have noticed. And then ladies and gentlemen, while I am reading or while you are thinking about it, I would really advise um, if you would love to put, pop your questions into the chat and then we can deal with some of them towards the end of the, of, of the session. And, and I hope that that really blesses you again. Um, God will be kind to us tonight. I, I, I've been looking forward to this. I, I know it, it sounds, it's one of the chapters of the Bible that holds what you can honestly call a gem of the Christian faith. And we're gonna go through it. But let's have a look at the first section. So the first thing that I want to pick up on, let's have a look at verses one to four. And now Paul is speaking to the church of Philippi. And this is what I noticed. He's speaking to the church at Philippi. And one of the things that he picks up on, and this is, and I'll, I'll pick, although he speaks about many things, a couple of things I would love us to notice. And the first one is this. There's something about the church that is supposed to be countercultural. And he presents a world. Remember, the world that he's presenting to them is a world that is based on systems. It's a, it's a world that is based on grades and levels and there's there are loads of elements where people cannot interact with one another freely but then he says the following he says that 
if there's anything that you can do to make me happy where I am. He said, let me hear that all of you are of the same mind, that you love one another, you have harmony one with another. And then he, then he presents something. He says, doing nothing out through envy or through pride with low thoughts of self, but let everybody take others to be better than himself. Verse four is where the countercultural element of church is. And it's this, not looking everyone to his private good, but keeping in mind the things of others. There is something about who we are as believers where we care one for another. Um, Jesus laid it out, and you'll find that, and I will turn there. So Jesus laid out that thought, and I'll have a look at it because it, it's, it's really great. Turn with me to the book of John chapter 13. John 13 verse 35. But let me, I'll read, I'll read from 34. Um, Jesus says it this way, and Jesus says, a new commandment I give unto you that you love one another as I have loved you. And think, well, think about that in a moment, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, have love one, for an, one to another. Now, ladies and gentlemen, what I want you to think about is in the light of that statement, notice what Paul says. He says, listen, all of you need to focus not only on what you are going through, but focus on what everybody else is going through. That means the person that's near you, you don't have that caring for one another. Now, remember, we spoke about this last week. One of the best gifts you can give anybody is say a prayer for them. Like in a, in a minute, we're going to say our declaration and we're going to declare over the country and we're going to literally give a gift to the United Kingdom. And we're just going to say the declaration that God is kind. And this is the one thing I want you to remember as we, as we look at this chapter. There is something about caring one for another that is part of who we are as Christians, carrying one another's burdens. And it's very interesting, and, and I'll talk about that after we've done our declaration, that miracles have a tendency to happen when we carry the burdens of one another or we pay attention to the needs of one another. One of those ways you find that God has a way of stepping in and not only solving what that person is going through, but in the process, causing what you and I have gone through to come to fruition. And that's something I want us to look at today. And so we've got about 45 seconds before we take our declaration. So I've got it here, and then we will read it out together. And so we're going to be taking our declaration from 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. Um, and so I'll just as we do so, as we prepare. So if you if you would like to pop it into the, it's in the chat for everybody to see, so you can read along um, and it's gonna be wonderful. And so we will start now. So let, let's take our declaration together. Oh Lord, we are your people called by your name. We humble ourselves, we pray and seek your face. We turn from our wicked ways Hear from heaven, Lord, forgive our sins and heal our land. In Jesus' name, we pray, amen. We declare that our land is healed 
in the name of Jesus, amen. And amen, ladies and gentlemen. And so, ladies and gentlemen, in a year, and I, 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 we say this a lot, but in a year like this, what Paul says about us being caring one for another, take a look at it. Notice, he says, if there's anything I want, it is for all of you to operate in a unity. One of the benefits of walking in love is you walk in unity. Walking in unity like that or walking together in love, it's a multiplier. Because what the Lord says about unity is when we work together in that manner, it multiplies our ability. And you find that all over the Bible. And it's one of those things that I want us to remember. And then we'll talk about why it, it, it's great to care for one another. But have a look at a couple of scriptures. Um, and if you're listening to this on the podcast, I'll go quite slowly so that, 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 that you've got it clearly. Matthew 18, 18 to 20 presents the same thing. And so I'll, Matthew 18, and I'm going to go to 18 to 20 so we can have a look. And it, it says the following. And I'm going to read it from the Bible in basic English. It's, it's lovely there. The Bible says, truly, I say to you, whatever things are fixed by you on earth will be fixed in heaven. And whatever you make free on earth will be made free in heaven. Again, I say to you, this is Jesus speaking, by the way, ladies and gentlemen. Again, I say to you that if two of you are in agreement on earth about anything for which they make a request, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. And the Bible says, for where two or three are come together in my name, there am I among them. And so, ladies and gentlemen, what does it do? It multiplies our ability to get things done. Now, this is, this is in the New Testament. So let's have a look at it. So, um, so what we're going to do is what I want you to think about it. Notice, we might not be able to see each other. Um, we might not be able to see each other. But we can. We can literally be there for one another in a place of prayer. So where two or three of us hook up on a, on a phone call just like this, the Bible says there's a multiplier effect. And what's the multiplier effect? The multiplier effect is not so much that it's the prayer, it's the fact that Jesus is right there. Because for you to come together in his name to pray for something that may not concern you takes a sacrifice. And Jesus says, I'm right there and I grab it. It's one of the beautiful things about being a Christian. Now, the second thing is, let's have a look at the multiplier effect. Um, let's have a look at the multiplier effect in the Old Testament. And the Bible says in the book, where am I, where am I, where am I? Um, okay, that's, the book of Joshua, 23, verse 10. And the Bible says, one man of you shall, that's Joshua 23, verse 10. One man of you shall chase a thousand. For the Lord your God is he that fighteth for you as he has promised you. And the Bible also says in Leviticus that two of you, one of you shall chase a thousand. Two of you shall chase 
10,000. There's a multiplier effect. Let me find that for you. There it is, Leviticus chapter 26, verse 8. And it's, it's beautifully put. And it says, five of you shall chase a hundred. And a hundred of you shall put 10,000 to flight. And your enemies shall fall before you before the sword. There's something about unity where you literally put down what matters to you the most to pick up what matters to everybody. And it's one of the beautiful things that Paul said, he said, if you can do this, whereby you don't think about your own things only, think about what the person beside you is going through. And ladies and gentlemen, one of the things I want you to keep this in mind before we move on to what's next, remember, this is one of the most practical things you can do for people around you. Because even if you can't get to them physically, you can join with them in the place of prayer or pray for. So let's say two or three of you have not seen one of your friends, lift that person up in a group prayer. The Bible says there's a multiplier effect. And all of a sudden you realize the sacrifice to make sure unity works becomes viable. The last thing I want to say on this um, before I move on, and this is one of the things I want you to, to keep in mind, why it's such, why the church is meant to be countercultural, counter whereby we don't look at our own things only, but we care for the people around us, is this. When we now focus on, Lord, this is what matters to you, Therefore, my brother or my sister, if they're going through something, it matters to me. Where does that come from? Where does the, where, where, the one of the most powerful expressions of that is actually found in Genesis. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 11. And I'm going to read to you verse six. Um, Genesis chapter 11, verse six. And I'm I'll read the King James Version first. And the Bible said, and the Lord said, behold, the people is one and they have all one language and this they begin to do. And now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Ladies and gentlemen, unity and the beauty of walking in love towards one another the Bible says it literally creates a place where what we attempt as a family is unstoppable. And so I join my faith with yours today. I join my faith with yours, no matter what kind of year you've had, no matter what kind of day you've had, no matter what kind of evening you've had, I join my faith with yours. And I pray from the bottom of my heart that whatever matters to you, because we're praying now today, may Jesus step into that matter. May God help you, may God strengthen you, and may God ensure that the end of this year is much better than the beginning of it for you. May God bless you and keep you. And we say, amen. So now 150 people have prayed that prayer. Expect miracles. <laughs> oh, wow. So expect miracles. And sincerely, it's been a tough year for everybody. But Paul says, listen, if there's anything you can do, stick together. And the reason I say so is not just stick together, 
but serve one another. Whatever you have is enough. A word of encouragement, a prayer, a piece of advice is enough. And so he puts this out. Now, the reason I wanted to, to lay this out really clearly is it prefaces what comes next. And what comes next, um, if you have a look at Philippians chapter two, reading from verse five, this is, and I'm going to go through this, it's one of the most beautiful pieces of writing in the Bible. And I say that without reservation, it speaks about Jesus, and but it also speaks about us because it sets the standard. So let's go through it in stages. Verse five, I'll read from the King James Version of the Bible, and more than likely, we'll end up in the Amplified Classic, and let's, let's see whether we can grab some stuff. The first thing Paul says is this. He said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, pause for a moment. Ladies and gentlemen, what he's saying is our example, our the person that we are meant to emulate, the person who lives in our heart, the person who saves us, the person who has kept us. He said, this is how he operated. And the Bible says, let this mind or let this manner of thinking be also in you. And then he breaks it down. And then uh, you'll begin to see that I hopefully this rocks your picture of Christianity as much as it rocked mine while I was studying for this. And it rocked it. It really rocked it. Excuse me, I'm just turning. Okay. It rocked it. Absolutely rocked my view of Christianity. Let me read through it. I'll read it in the old King James and I'll break it down. It says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. The Bible then says, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Now, we also realize that this is true. So I'll, just to give us context, I'll go and come back to this, go and come back to this. So verse five, let's go and come back. So let's have a look at why this statement is really important. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11, verses one, Hebrews 12, verses one to two, um, and I'll read it. Yes, I'll read in the Passion Translation. The Bible says, as for us, we have all of these great witnesses who encircle us like clouds. So we must let go of every wound that has pierced us and the sin we so easily fall into. Then we will be able to run life's marathon race with passion and determination for the path was already marked out before us. Then the Bible says in verse two, we look away from the natural realm and we fasten our gaze onto Jesus who birthed faith within us and who leads us forward into faith's perfection. His example is this, because his heart was focused on the joy of knowing that you would be his, he endured the agony of the cross and conquered its humiliation and now sits exalted at the right hand of the throne of God. Ladies and gentlemen, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is our example. Now, that means when I'm going to measure my life, 
I don't need to measure my life against anything else except how did Jesus live his life? The, I, I, I'm picking on Instagram because it's fun, but don't measure. Okay, I've got a really good question. I'm going to grab that in a minute. Don't measure your life against Instagram. Now, Instagram is a wonderful place, but have Instagram, everybody seems to be successful. Everybody's face is perfect. Everybody's life is great. And then everybody comes and we only put the good stuff on Instagram. We put all sorts of wonderful things. I just graduated. I just did this. I just did that. And all of a sudden, it looks like your life's going nowhere. The Bible says that the only person you need to compare your life to is Jesus Christ. And it's very important that not just comparing your life to him, but that you are reproducing life the way he lived it. And he, without a doubt, is the most successful human being that has ever breathed. And it's the most amazing thing to do. This rocked my world. The Bible said Jesus is my example. So if we go back to Philippians 2 verse 5, when the Bible says, let this mind be in you that was in Jesus, what they're telling me is, this is how you have to view, this is how you have to act, and this is how you have to respond to life. And so that's verse 5. So Jesus is our example. So let's go back to Philippians 2. should be fun. Um, I will stay in the Bible in basic English because that's what we use that's what we're using as our, as our guide as we work through. The Bible says, let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. Then the Bible says, um, verse six, to whom, though himself in the form of God, it did not seem, it did not seem that to take for oneself was to be like God. Effectively, the Bible says in um, the old King James that it was not robbery. Jesus had every right to literally say, I am in the form of God, and he is. He is God, and he is man, beautifully at the same time. Now, one of my favorite scriptures is John chapter 1, reading from verses 1 down to verse 5. But if you look at verses 1 to 3, and, I'll, and let's look at it, remember this, just to keep it, to keep it um, so that we keep it balanced. Jesus had every right to say, you know what? I am the son of God. I can lord it over everybody. Notice, he had every right. The Bible says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The Bible then says, the same was in the beginning with God. The Bible then says, by him was everything made, and without him, nothing was made that was made. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Jesus we're talking about. He had every right, but something drove him. And we're going to come to that. And the Bible says, but he, let's go to verse seven. So now let's go back to Philippians 2 verse seven. The Bible says, but he made himself as nothing, taking the form of a servant, being made like men. Let me speak about this really carefully especially where you want to influence people. I was out of the country. Um, can you remember what that's like? Those of you that travel, can you remember what it's like to travel? If you can remember what an airport looks like, you know, one day we'll get a postcard that this is an airport. I was out of the country and I was, I happened to be in the Bahamas. Um, I was 
at a conference and I got into a taxi cab with this very elderly gentleman and elderly driver, very pleasant. And he was driving me from my hotel to uh, the church where I was going to, I was um, part of the conference. And we started, we struck up a conversation. Now, this is what I want to demonstrate and it should be fun to you. I realized this is an elderly West Indian gentleman. And so he said, are you a tourist? And I said, yes. And then we started talking about Jesus. And I was desperate for him to understand that this is the Jesus I know. So I switched. Now, interestingly, growing up for me, I learned to speak Patois early. So I started speaking about Jesus and I switched. I began to speak about the Lord of, I, I, I can do it. I, I, I used to do it for fun, but this day, this day was really important. So I began to speak in Patois. But Jesus Christ is the son of God. And this is all the things that you need to know. That God Almighty came down as a son of God. And I began to talk about Jesus. And his eyes were like saucers. And he literally, and I began to tell him about the wonderful things that Jesus Christ did and this. And I began to use terms and words and phrases in a tone that he understood. By the time I got out of the taxi, two things had happened. Number one, he had no resistance to the gospel because I was able to make myself appealing to him. So in his mind, I just happened to get a cab, but I came from an island because it was literally, and I, I, I can do it for hours. And all I was doing was, the phrases Jesus became like us. Why? Because it was so important that God was presented to us in a way that we understand. And this is something. So Jesus said, it's not about what I have. There's a security there that who I am in God is not touched, but it is necessary for me to do this so I can reach these people. Ladies and gentlemen, we don't see that as often nowadays. We try and force people to our way of thinking. No, no, it is, I will literally sacrifice, not, 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 when I sacrifice is not a fair word, I can put down my airs and graces. They're not touched so that I can reach somebody for Christ. So if it means me going to a place or having a conversation or giving um, honor to somebody who may not deserve it, and you, but because you want to get Christ into their life, you put down the norms. Like I said, you become countercultural. And so that you can present Christ, you literally take what comes and the person learns of Jesus. Um, Oh, I want to give, uh, 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 there's another example I want to give you, because what I want you to realize, verse seven is key. The Bible says, but he made himself as nothing, taking the form of a servant, being made like men. It's really important you understand where he stepped down from. But let me just give you an example. Hopefully this helps somebody. A few years ago, I was coming back, I, I used to live in Brighton, and I was coming home by train and, and I got the late train. We had come back from one of the, the evening services and 
<laughs> I will answer all the questions. Absolutely brilliant. The questions are coming fantastic. I will stop very soon. And I got onto, I got onto the train and it was one of those trains where there are six seats. So I sat on one and it was a theater goers. The theater goers were on the train and there was one lady there. She was drunk, completely drunk. But she was very pleasant and she was very chatty. So after a while, there were about three or four of us. As we got towards Brighton, it cut down to myself, another gentleman and this lady. And she was asking all sorts of questions. And she, you know, when you're drunk, you are naturally loquacious. You could, you could talk about anything. And I could have literally, you know, basically done that one, put the newspaper up, pretended to do something else, put earphones in. And it's like, you know what, just keep talking. But I just kept talking. And I just began to answer nice questions. You know, what do you do? How come you're so tall? Are you a security guard? Are you this? Um, you can be my bodyguard. Oh, and it, the person was drunk. She meant no harm. Two things happened. The gentleman who sat opposite was watching. We got to Brighton and two things happened. The first thing was this lady who was absolutely drunk staggered out of the train, walked past the barriers and then stopped and came back, walked up to me, hugged me. Now she's a stranger, I could have freaked out, hugged me and said, thank you. And then walked off into the night. You never know what the love of God will do for the most unusual person. Second, the man who was watching, he walked up to me, caught up to me at the barriers, and he said, you were very kind to that lady. You see, ladies and gentlemen, there's something about Jesus, whereby it is when you can just put down the things that seem to keep us apart, it allows the love of God to be shown to the most unusual people. And trust me, it works. And so this is the thing about Jesus, our example. He puts um, down his, his honor and the glory of being the son of God, and he comes to where we are. So let's go to verse eight, Philippians two, verse eight. And the Bible says, and being seen in form as a man, he took the lowest place and let himself be put to death even the death of the cross. I'm going to pause there, ladies and gentlemen, because I want to nail something to the ground. Um, <laughs> okay, I'm going to come to the question. I'm going to just speak for five minutes because both questions deserve a lot of, they're very, they're very respectful questions. I really, I really want to grab them. The Bible said that he let himself be taken to the cross. Holy Spirit, this is gonna be fun. Um, it is in the book of John. 20. Let's go back. Um, Sorry, I'm just trying to find it where you, um, let me, sorry, I, I'll find it. Uh, is it in John? 
Aha, yes, John chapter 18. Now, this drives home the point that Jesus allowed himself. I'll read from one. I'm reading the King James Version. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the brook Cedron, and there was a garden into which he entered with his disciples. And Judas, which also betrayed, which also betrayed him, knew the place, for Jesus oftentimes resorted thither with his disciples. Jesus went there often. And Judas then, having received a band of men and officers and chief priests and Pharisees, came cometh thither with lanterns and torches and with weapons. Now pause for a moment. Remember, in between the time of one and four, Jesus has prayed for three hours. The Bible says, we find that in Luke chapter 22, Jesus prays for three hours, an angel comes and strengthens him. He prays and he, and he, he literally commits his life to God, that God, your, not my will, but yours be done. Different sermon, different story. He prays and then Judas shows up. So let's keep reading from John chapter 18, verse four. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them. So he walks away from his disciples, standing in between his disciples and a band of killers, people that want to wipe him out. And this is what he says. They answered him, verse 5, they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said unto them, I am he. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. As soon as he said unto them, I am he, they went backward and fell to the ground. Meaning, <laughs> If Jesus had wanted to walk away, I mean, he was walking in a level of power you cannot imagine. And he's on his way to the cross. And the Bible then says, verse 7, then asked he them again, whom seek ye? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And then he said, I've told you that I am he. If therefore, if therefore you seek me, let these go their way, that the same may be fulfilled of which he spoke. Of them which you gave me, I have lost none. And then Jesus goes into it. But notice, he allows himself to be taken. Not that the power for God to deliver him was not present. You have to realize that John chapter 10 verse 18 is true. And John 10, 18 Let's get this. Jesus said the following, no man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This commandment of I received of my father, he's speaking about his life. So John 10, 17 to 18, keep this in mind. The Bible says he chose to go to the cross. Please keep that in mind. One of the beautiful things about Philippians 2, this is what I, I found out, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop after this. Philippians 2, the Bible says when he found himself here and he realized this is what I'm here for, he chose to go to the cross for us. Ladies and gentlemen, please keep this in mind. If this is our example, then we can choose to do God's will 
irrespective, and I say this carefully, of the cost. Because think about it, notice he's our example. So when we decide to follow God, it is God, if this is where you want me to go, that's okay. Because I trust you, not my circumstances. And I hope, ladies and gentlemen, because I'm sure some people are, are listening to this or you're watching this and you've had to adjust to a life that's completely different. The Bible is very clear. God has not forgotten you. So before I take the questions, let me read this. It's, it's a celebratory statement and then we'll, we'll take the questions and we're done for today. The Bible says the following. Let me read it in the Bible in basic English. Because of what Jesus did, God responded. And the Bible says this from verse 9. For this reason, God has put him in the highest place and has given to him the name which is greater than every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee may be bent of those in heaven and those on earth and those in the underworld and that every tongue may give witness that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's settle something, ladies and gentlemen, and then we'll move on. God rewarded Jesus, our example. It was a reward. It wasn't a price in that Jesus saw the bauble and said, I'll go to the cross because you're going to give me a name above every name. That wasn't the focus. You can see that from John 17. The focus was because I love the Father and this matters to you, I will do this. The Bible says God then responds and rewards Jesus. So ladies and gentlemen, I want us to keep this in mind. That means when you do something and you know it's God, you're not doing it to get God to give you something. You're doing it because you love him. But God is faithful not to forget what you've done. And I'm sure I'm speaking to somebody today that this has been a tough year and you've had to make certain sacrifices. You've got to do certain things. You've, got to, you've had to adjust to certain things. God is not unrighteous not to reward you for it. So you're not being kind to the next person because you want God to give you something. You're being kind to the next person or the, your neighbor because that's what God would want us to do because you're representing him. When you do so, the Bible says God will reward you. Now, this is the thought I'm going to end with. It's in Matthew 6. Three times, let me see, um, three times I want you to remember God says, when you do something, the focus is not getting something from God. It, the focus is pleasing him and he will respond with a reward. The Bible says in Matthew chapter six, reading from verses one to five, that when you show mercy to somebody, the Bible says God will reward you. So when you literally, you're kind enough to bless someone, you make something happen. The Bible says God will reward you. When you pray in a way that pleases God, that means not necessarily in public, but you go into pride into the place of privacy and you allow 
your prayers to be tools for God to make his will happen, the Bible says, God reward you. The Bible then says again, later on in Matthew 6, that when you fast, when you come before God and you fast, that the Lord does it because of what fasting does, because of the wonderful things that fasting does, God says, I will reward you for it. You're not dragging anything out of me, but I will reward you. And I wanted to leave us with this thought. The Bible says this is the Jesus the Bible presents. He became a servant. For that action, God said, I will reward you. And if he's our example, then ladies and gentlemen, let me say this to somebody. God is about to reward you. You weren't doing it. You are not continuing after you've lost a loved one because you want to score points with God. But the Bible says, because the Lord sees that that's what is, is the Christ in you showing up, he says, I'll reward you for it. When you go out of your way to help your brother or your sister, the Lord says, I'll reward you. When you put your prayers at the service of God, like we did during our declaration, where we weren't praying for ourselves, we're praying for the nation. The Bible says, God says, I'll reward you. And so someone, please keep this in mind. God is about to reward you. So let me pause for a moment. Let me take the questions. Um, and then we'll go from here. And so ladies and gentlemen, the rest of Philippians to read through anything that pops up, enjoy it. Please do. We're going to jump on to um, Philippians 3 and 4 next week. But let's take questions for today. So I've got one question. And it's this. How can one apply this in a marriage or a relationship? It rocks my entire faith. I thought Paul was speaking to the church and I am the church and so is my marriage. Not sure if that makes sense. It does make sense. Remember, this is where, this is what you look at where we literally become, we put ourselves down. I'll give you an example. And when it comes to marriage, this is, this is the beautiful thing about marriage. You'll remember, in marriage, it's two people who are making sacrifices for one another so that the other person is great. And that's a bad, that's a bad example, but let, let, let's just take it like that. That let's think about it in marriage. So let me give you an example. An example is, is, is as follows. Um, I remember when I got married, I have a particular type of television program I love. And I, I'll, I'll use a funny example. So it's not, and it, it's ex, it's, you can extend it to um, the more serious examples. I have a particular pro television program I love and I, I, I enjoy watching TV. Then I realized, no, no, I'll use a different example. Completely different example. Rewind. This is how you do it in a marriage. It was my birthday and my wife decided, she said, oh, I'm gonna take you to the cinema. Now, my wife has a type of film that she enjoys. Sometimes action, but mainly it's that they're very more thoughtful, more crime focused films. Mine, someone has to die, something has to blow up, something has to happen. My wife, and I'm very, I'm sci fi minded, I'm very fantasy minded. My wife hates those kind of films. So we go into the cinema. I didn't know my wife had worked out that there was a particular film I really wanted to watch. We get to the cinema. 
in the cinema, we walk in, I realized, my goodness, it's the first Transformers film. I am now like a kid with sweets. My wife sits down and I tell her, you know, I really love you, I really love you. And then the film starts and it's like, yeah. And 15 minutes into the film, it is the loudest film you can watch. Everything blows up. I turn to my wife that, baby, did you see that? And, I, and she's asleep. And I'm thinking, what? <coughs> and then I smile, but it never left me. I realized that you are only here because it mattered to me. That has never, ever left me. So when we think about it in, as in a marriage, it is, let me put it into a definition, that love is the sacrificial provision or the sacrificial provision of God's good to another in a way or manner that the other person may receive it. That's what Jesus did. His focus was, this is how, this is how, this is what love looks like. So I won't come as God, I will go as man. And I won't come as man as a king, whereby I roll in bright, shining, you know, 2000 angels. I will come and I will come from the bottom so that no one will be repelled by who I am so that the will and person and plan of God may come to pass. And when you're in a marriage, if you keep that mentality, it means you may lose a few battles, but you will win a war. And when I say you'll win a war, because remember the other person, all of a sudden, notice what I said, God will reward you. And I, I, I mean, think about, I mean, I've, I've watched it happen in my life. There'll be times that we will, I will do something to upset my wife and I'll wander off and I'll say, ah, well, God, I was right. I was right. I was right. And I will try and pray and the Holy Ghost will bury me ice cold. And I'll go back and I'll beg my wife, that, okay, 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 okay. Sorry, 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 sorry. I got it. I got it wrong. What are you talking about? Remember, you will not lose. I know it sounds like a tough road, but you won't lose. How do you do it? To the best of your ability. Whenever you get the opportunity, put the other person's needs first. That doesn't mean God will not make sure your needs are not met. That's why there are two people in the marriage. I hope that helps. Um, I hope that helps when it calls. That's where you see the biblical example I could have gone to is found in Ephesians chapter 5, reading from verses 22 down to verse 33. I hope that helps. So in a marriage, that's what it means. I hope that helps. The second question we've got tonight is how do you cope with wishes that don't seem to be forthcoming after prayers to God for a long time? Is it a sin to doubt if my desires can ever be answered? The person I wish for is all that matters to me. Now, I'm going to, I'm going to grab something here. Number one, as a Christian, you do not wish. Wishing is magical level. Beautiful question but let's settle something. So it was a really great question about, especially if you're single and you're believing God for the person that, that you're, that the person that 
you're believing God for that life partner who fits the bill. There are too many examples in the Bible to doubt the fact that if you walk with God, he will get it done. One of my favorite stories to tell, and we've got about five minutes. One of my favorite stories to tell is this. Rahab. I love telling the story of Rahab. Rahab's story, she, you find Rahab in Joshua's arrival when they take down Jericho, Joshua chapter six. Rahab is, is the significant player. She's, um, she's a lady of the night. She's a prostitute. She, and she's not just an ordinary prostitute. Uh, her house is an industry standard kind of place. And it's part of the wall of Jericho. Rahab obviously was not young. Story goes on, Jericho falls, Rahab is saved, and Rahab finds herself living amongst Israelites. And now think about it. She has been a prostitute that has built an industry. She is not anything like any of the Israelites. So she's alone. And she steps out of history, seemingly. Come with me to Matthew chapter one. And whoever this is, I won't, I won't say your name, whoever asked the question because it was really well spoken. I hope this gives you some encouragement that God will not let you down. Matthew chapter one, verse five, Rahab does not pop up again until the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says in Matthew chapter one, verse five, the following, and the son of Salmon by Rahab, was Boaz. Pause for a moment. Now that means Salmon is in the generation of Jesus Christ. So he's a Israelite of Israelites. So that's the first thing. Salmon did not meet Rahab until she was well past her prime. Salmon must have known this was Rahab's industry. Salmon had to make a countercultural decision to marry this woman, and it had to be because God said so. Because in all sincerity, can you imagine explaining to your parents? And these are not all, these are parents that have come through the desert and all of a sudden the Israelites are doing what they're doing and you come to your parents, by the way, the Canaanite prostitute that got us out of Jericho is the person I'm going to marry. I mean, on a serious level, that will be a family discussion that will be like WWE. It will be something special. Now listen very carefully. The Bible says not only does he marry her, he must have married her late. And so the last thing Rahab would have been expecting was children. And the Bible says she has an amazing kid. And that kid is Boaz. <laughs> Please understand your prayers, not your wishes, your prayers and your trust in God for the kind of person that God, you need to be you. Hear me. They will be met. But the onus is not on God creating that person. The onus is on the kind of person you are. You become like Christ. You become kind you become generous, you become welcoming, you become accepting, you become a person who represents Jesus Christ and the Bible says God will reward you.
The Bible says it in Psalm 37, verse 4. He said, delight yourself in the Lord and he will grant you the desires of your heart. And this is key. And so I really hope this gives you some confidence. Do not think that your desires and your prayers for the kind of person that you want or need, no matter how unique or no matter what situations you find yourself, the God who you serve. Because when you delight yourself in God, you will become like him. When you become like the Lord, you will attract the person that God wants you to be with. And so let me give you some confidence, please. God will reward you. Might be the last scripture for us tonight. Proverbs 18, verse 22. The Bible says, he that findeth a wife, findeth, sorry, I'm quoting from the old King James. I'm a little bit older than you lot. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 22. The Bible says, he that findeth a wife, findeth a good thing, and then obtains favor from the Lord. And so if you're believing God for a life partner, no matter what the circumstances say, May the favor of God cause your prayers, desires, and hopes to come to pass. Ladies and gentlemen, we're coming to the end of tonight. I hope that really helped. Whoever asked that question, that was bravery personified. Thank you for helping us out. And I pray. So, ladies and gentlemen, let me say a prayer for everybody. And we'll close it here for tonight. And the biggest one is this, the best prayer, the big, biggest thing we can say is this, may this week, may you be like Christ. May you be the Jesus that the people around you will see. May God cause you to represent Jesus in your world. Wherever you go, may people remember you because Jesus was there through your words, your thoughts, and your actions. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you've been blessed tonight. May God keep you. If you're believing God for healing or for any member of your family, we join our faith with you. And may the multiplier effect of praying together, may God heal, may God strengthen, and may God keep you. God bless you, ladies and gentlemen. See you next week.